Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like what? Christmas around here. Guess what? You ready for this? Uh, Christmas is less than three weeks away. You're afraid, aren't you? Now, raise your hand and maybe leave a comment. Is anybody completely done with their Christmas shopping? Are you one of those? Is there any? Oh my goodness, I see, I see several. Y'all, so th- these are the obsessive compulsive ones, right? Or the, the well-organized ones. Anybody, anybody not even started yet? Okay, there's a few more of those. Okay, well, um, some of you are excited, some of you are panicked uh, as we talk about Christmas right ahead. But as Scott said, we begin a new Christmas series today, and uh, I'm excited about that. In fact, one of the uh, challenges that most of us face every Christmas is connecting the Christmas story with a fresh set of eyes. Now, by the way, as a pastor, when I reference the Christmas story, I'm not referring to Ralphie and uh, a leg lamp or sticking your tongue on a, on a post, none of that, okay? I'm talking about the Christmas story, okay? Now, but my, my, um, what I'm trying to say is that the reality is most of us have heard the story, right? of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men. You kind of heard that story so many times that your brain kind of uh, shifts into neutral a little bit when you hear it today. In fact, it's easy to kind of mentally check out uh, when you hear about the story because you feel like you already know the story. Now, we love the story, but sometimes we no longer hear it and uh, let it impact our lives. And so to combat that tendency, each year we pastors try to come up with some sort of, you know, new angle so that you'll look at the Christmas story in a new and fresh way. And over the years we've done that many times here at Coastal. We've used carols or movies and all kinds of ways just to come at this story in a different angle. And so this year, the angle that we're kind of using, we're coming at, is that the Christmas story really is God's good news for broken people. Now, here's what I mean. The characters in the Christmas story are so familiar to us that we tend to forget who they were before they became famous, so to speak, before they were immortalized in the Bible. But if you'll look closely, you'll see that most of them were not only very ordinary, but also very human very fallible, very broken people. But again, that's the point. Jesus came through to the world through the lives of broken people. People, quite frankly, just like you and just like me. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of an elderly couple by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And uh, we're introduced to them in the very opening chapter of Luke. Now, a lot of times people kind of skip over this and go straight to Luke chapter 2. But this is an important part of the Christmas story. Follow along as I read, uh, beginning with verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, 
careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, the King James Version says that they were both well stricken in years. I like that description, right? Some of you, you could just say, in fact, Pastor Scott, uh, Scott Huff, uh, his 40th birthday is coming up in two months, and he is getting ready to be what? Well stricken in years. So, um, so how old were, were these, this couple? How old were they? Uh, well, we're, we're not actually told, but it is probably safe to assume that they qualified for Social Security, okay? But then added to that, we're also told that they were childless. Elizabeth was barren. And this story sounds a lot like uh, Abraham and Sarah. They were well beyond childbearing years, unable to have children. And then the other thing that we can surmise is that they were probably very poor, a very poor couple. Uh, Zechariah was not the uh, senior pastor of Mega Temple, you know, in Jerusalem, not at all. Uh, He's just a simple, you know, unknown priest out in the middle of nowhere. So here's this simple couple childless and well-advanced in years, and yet they make the Bible. You know why? Because they simply loved God and they were faithful. Look at verses 8 through 10. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now, let me explain what's going on here, because if you don't understand the context, you missed a little bit of this. So Israel at this time had about 18,000 priests, which were divided into 24 divisions of 750 priests each. Each of these divisions would get to go to Jerusalem twice a year and serve in the temple. Okay, so picture this. All 750 would come together, and literally, it says that they, you know, according to the lot, or they cast lots, really what they were doing is they would literally roll the dice and let God choose. You know, roll the dice and get to see who got to do the big job. Which one of the priests would be chosen at that point to do the big job? Now, the big job was going into the temple and offering incense and prayer at the daily sacrifice. But that was it. That was a big, big deal for a priest. And once you did that, it was almost as though you would be set for life. You were then considered chosen, holy, blessed. And it was a one-time thing. You never got to do it again. So this was a huge, huge deal. And so every year, Zechariah would make this trip to Jerusalem, and then they would roll the dice and, and every year, he would lose. Every year, he would come up short over and over and over again. Loser, loser, loser. And we have no idea how many years he'd been making this trip, you know, hoping to be picked. I mean, he could have made this trip 30, 40, even 50 years, depending on exactly how old he was. And some people were never picked. And so then, finally, 
on this day, at the you know, end of his priestly you know, life, his term, Zechariah's an old man. They roll the dice, and it's Zechariah. It's you. It's your turn. I mean, finally, his big day has come. And so picture this. It's Zechariah's big moment. He goes inside. He, he burns the incense. He closes his eyes and he prays, I believe, for two things. One, God, please deliver our nation, our people. Send the one that Malachi has promised, send our Savior. That would have been a common prayer that most priests would have prayed. And then secondly, God, please give me and Elizabeth a baby, just like you did Abraham and Sarah. Amen. And then he opens his eyes, and this is what happened. Look at verses 11 through 12. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Now, honestly, we're lucky that he doesn't, doesn't just drop dead of a heart attack, right? Right then and there of fear. Verses 13 and 17 explain uh, that the angel says to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth are, in fact, going to have a baby, and they are to name him John, which means God is gracious. And by the way, this is who? John the Baptist. This is the forerunner to the Messiah. In fact, drop down to verse 18. Notice Zechariah's unbelievable response to all this. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Now, so again, let's review here for a second. Zechariah, you have been asking for a baby for decades, on this day, you won the dice-rolling lottery priest game today. It is your one-time shot. The presence of God is right here. You are standing in front of the incense. You prayed for a baby. And then an angel of God appears and says, yes, you're going to have a baby. What else would you like? And then you say, eh, how can I be sure? I mean, Zechariah is essentially saying, I'm not sure I believe it. Look at verses 19 and 20. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. Okay, stop there for a second. So there are two primary angels that are named in the Bible. Gabriel and, anybody know? Michael. And Zechariah gets one of them, okay? Again, this is a big deal. He says, I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until this child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Wow. Now, on the one hand, I think we can all identify with Zechariah, right? I mean, he and his wife are old, you know, they're well past childbearing years, so we get all that. But on the other hand, he is standing face to face with an angel of God who is bringing a message directly from God. And the angel's response reveals that Zechariah is really dealing with the, 
the lack of a lack of faith, unbelief. Can you relate to that? I mean, he's questioning, you know, the truth of, of God's word, the truth of the revelation. You know, what did the angel say? You didn't believe what I said. Ever struggle with that? And so now he's got nine months to listen. I mean, did you see the irony here? Zechariah wants a sign, okay, a sign, as if the angel Gabriel is not enough of a sign. So for the next nine months, he's going to have to use what? Sign language, right, Marissa? Sign language. There you go. It's a little shout out to our uh, interpreter there. That's what he's going to have to do for nine months. Now look at verses uh, 21 through 25. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. So, what does Elizabeth do? The Bible says nothing for five months. She's on maternity leave, man. Absolutely nothing. She's just worshiping God. You know, she's rubbing her belly. She's making baby blankets. She's setting up the nursery. She is rejoicing, right, women? That she has a mute husband, right, for the whole length of the pregnancy. I mean, you can just picture this woman going, oh, thank you, God, for answering my prayers. Thank you, God, for this baby. And for nine months, I win every argument, right? I mean, she's ecstatic. Thank you, Lord. But here's the central truth. God did appear to Zechariah and Elizabeth with the news that they are going to be the parents to the forerunner of the Messiah. They'd be the parents of John the Baptist the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus. And so from that moment on, their life would change forever. Their barrenness was replaced with blessing. So, what does any of that have to do with you today? And how might God use it to, to speak to you? Well, for starters, I really do believe that every one of us has experienced some sort of barrenness in our lives. You know, some kind of brokenness, some kind of pain. For some, it might be actual infertility. For others, it might be a broken marriage or the loneliness that comes after losing someone that you love. It might be a physical problem that won't go away. There, I mean, there are all kinds of brokenness and barrenness and pain that we experience. Failure, personal feelings of inadequacy, rejection, financial hardship, exhausting fatigue, feeling trapped, feeling afraid. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But my point is, everyone, everyone here, everyone watching online has had or will have some kind of barrenness in in their life. So is there something that we can learn from the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth that can help us today? 
in those barren times? I think so. I think so. So let's, uh, let's talk about our own experiences with barrenness, and more importantly, the hope that God wants to birth into our lives, to breathe into our lives. So i got three lessons for you to think about today based on what we see in the lives of Zachariah and Elizabeth that I want us to learn. Here's the first one. God's faithfulness is ever-present. God's faithfulness is ever-present. I mean, don't, don't you think that uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth had days where they wondered whether or not God had forgotten them? You know, where, where they wondered whether or not their, their faithful service was actually worth it. I mean, had God overlooked them? Was he ignoring them? Was he upset with them? They're old, they're childless, they're tired. I mean, they had been basically living out in, living and serving in obscurity for a long, long time. I mean, no doubt they must have been tempted to think, God, maybe you've got like, you know, far bigger items on your agenda than two ordinary old people like us. Maybe we've been forgotten. But boy, were they in for a surprise. Loved ones, listen. It can be tempting in times of struggle to think that you're all alone. You are not. You're not. Did you hear that? Our God has not forgotten you. I mean, it's difficult for a couple who wants to have a child to see their friends having babies. It's difficult for anyone who might be going through a time of brokenness or barrenness to see other people, you know, appearing to prosper and get ahead and be blessed while, you know, you might be doing everything you can just to, you know, just to stay afloat. Can you relate to that? And and in those hard and barren times, we wonder, we struggle, does God care? You know, has he forgotten me? And if this story teaches us anything, it teaches us that, listen, God forgets no one. His faithfulness is ever-present. In fact, Christmas really is this, this beautiful message to the entire world. How many of you, raise your hand if you've already put up your Christmas decorations. Leave us a comment online. In fact, I actually believe, and I've heard this over and over again, that many people this time of the year, uh, this year in particular, 2020, have put your Christmas decorations up earlier than ever, Right? Raise your hand if you put your, and leave us a comment online if you put your decorations up pre-Thanksgiving, okay? Yeah. Now, in fact, I'd love to hear online how many of you actually put them up right after Halloween, okay? I, I know some people who've done that, but, you know, you know, your tree, your decorations, all that thing, all that stuff. So here's what I want you to do. Over the next several weeks, every time you look at the lights on that tree. Every time you, you look at the direct decorations that you, you put up, maybe you know, in your home or other places, every time you hear a Christmas song, every time you receive a Christmas card, every time you buy, give, or receive a gift, I hope that you will be reminded, not of the commercialism of this season, but of the fact that you and I have not been forgotten that Jesus actually came into the world for broken people. I can't help but think of the wonderful passage in Romans 5 where it says, 
When we were utterly helpless, what does that mean? That means when we were barren, weak, badly broken, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still what? Sinners. When we were at our worst, when we were broken. And then over in chapter eight, he asked these questions. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? In fact, listen to just verse 32 again, this time out of the message. Listen to this. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Guys, that's the story of Christmas. It's Emmanuel. God with us, and the God who is with us and for us has promised never, ever to leave us. That his faithfulness is ever present. Now, there's a second lesson we need to embrace as well, though. Number two, God's plan is sometimes painful. Sure, his faithfulness is ever present, but his plan is sometimes painful. What do I mean? Here's the truth. God's plan for our lives often requires training and discipline. And typically that is not pleasant. It's painful. Hebrews 12, 11 says it like this. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And up in verse six, it actually, he reminds us that the Lord disciplines those he, what? Loves. Now, when we hear the word discipline, you know, we typically think of correction, right? You know, you, you did something wrong and now you've got to be disciplined for it. You've got to be corrected for it. Well, that's certainly a part of, of discipline, but there's also the discipline of perfection, Sometimes God brings the discipline of correction, but sometimes he brings or allows the discipline of perfection. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You want to be blown away by a Bible verse this morning? This one just absolutely blows me away. Listen to Hebrews 5.8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Wow. I mean, that just knocks me over. Jesus, the Son of God, he says, even though he was the God's Son, had to learn certain things, had to learn obedience through suffering. In other words, the Son of God didn't get a pass on hardship and pain and brokenness. And listen, this second lesson is just as important as the first. You know, as you make your way through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, what you see is that God so often matures people, prepares people with painful things. He perfects them through the cross of suffering. Moses, Moses spent 40 years tending sheep on the backside of an isolated desert before he encountered God in the burning bush and led his people to freedom. 
David was chased around the wilderness for years as a fugitive uh, by King Saul before he was prepared to be the king. You get over into the New Testament, you got the apostles, and let me tell you, their story is the same. They went through all kinds of hardships. They were beaten, they were stoned, they were thrown into prison. In fact, what did they tell the early believers? Acts 14, 22. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Suffering and hardship is intertwined with kingdom living. In other words, God uses hard things to train us. He prepares us. He perfects us through hard times. Why? For what purpose? Well, go back to Hebrews 12, 11. Remember it said, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a what? A peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, don't, don't miss the uh, agricultural reference there. I'm slowly learning that God uses hardship and difficulty and pain to grow us. He takes us through all those difficult times to deepen our roots. See, it's, it's the dry times that cause the roots of a plant or a tree to go deep. In fact, when there's an overabundance of rain and water, what can happen? That the plant becomes very vulnerable. You know, the root system never truly develops. It, it stays concentrated just around the surface. And so when a strong wind comes, when a storm comes, over they go. Because of a lack of deepened, substantial roots. Guys, listen, Jesus said the exact same thing in his parable of the soils. He said, hey, there's going to be people who will hear the word and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they only last a short time. And then when trouble and persecution and hardship comes, what happens? They quickly fall away. Loved ones, listen to me. God wants to deepen our faith by deepening our roots. And he does it most often through the barren times, the hard times, the times marked by pain and adversity and, and hardship. Those times, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, where we're tempted to cry out, God, where are you? God corrects us and perfects us because he loves us. And he wants to deepen our roots. So God's faithfulness is ever present. His, time, his uh, plan is sometimes painful. And then finally, uh, one more lesson. Number three, God's timing is always perfect. His timing is always perfect. Guys, I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't always understand why God does the things he does and more importantly, when he does them. And that, that really is the case for me with Zechariah and Elizabeth. I mean, you know, you just read the story and you're thinking, why? Why did God make them wait, wait like that? I mean, here they are in the time of their life when they should be grandparents, right? And, uh, and, and they got a, bra a brand new baby. Now, 
I'm, Jan and I are not grandparents yet. We got friends who are, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, the possibility of that, I, and I'm, we're excited about, you know, when it, when it happens, but from what I can understand, the cool thing about being a grandparent is that, man, you get to hang out with the kids and play with the kids and take the kids, you know, different places, and then what do you get to do? Give them back, right? Woo! Why? Because our energy level at this stage of life is not the same anymore, Right? And so you look at this story with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you think, you know, why? Why then? Why not before? You know, why had God waited? Why didn't he pick somebody different, maybe like a young couple like Joseph and Mary? I love how uh, Jim Cimbala explains this uh, in his book, uh, Fresh Faith. Great book, by the way. I ought to pick that up, Fresh Faith. He writes, but what does God do? He casts his eye all across the land of Israel and finds a woman who can't have a baby? While all her friends in the little desert town seem to have gotten pregnant, she has remained childless. Then God waits and waits until she is way past childbearing years so that even if she could have conceived a child, it's now too late. She is doubly disqualified as a special mother for this special child. And the God of heaven says, that's the one. As the boy grows up, from the time he is nursed to the time he grows into manhood, his mother and father will be able to tell him over and over the story of his birth, the miracle of his aged parents, all of it reinforcing in his tender mind that nothing, nothing is impossible with God. You see, many times in life, God waits while a situation goes from bad to worse. He appears to let it slip over the edge so that you and I will say there is no way for this to ever work out but that is the point when the omnipotent God intervenes in our hopelessness and says oh really watch this and that's what happened but Coastal listen to me as exciting as all of this must have been for Elizabeth and Zachariah it wasn't the birth of John the Baptist who took away their soul's barrenness. No. There was another baby who was in the process of being born to someone else who would do that. And what makes this story so powerful is that it is a part of the story of the birth of Jesus. And you see, ultimately, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to our brokenness. He is the, the one who takes away our barrenness. Now that's not to say that God doesn't also give good gifts like, like children or success or marriage. It's just that the best gift that he gives the one that ultimately takes away our sadness and our despair and our pain and our barrenness and fills our life with joy. It isn't found in any of those things. The best gift is God himself, the real gift, the ultimate blessing and answer to my barrenness and brokenness and yours is the gift of himself, a personal relationship with God which he made possible for you and me through the death, burial, and resurrection of his one and only son, Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas 
is all about. He was on a rescue mission. You and me. And I'm praying that God is going to use this season and this series to remind us that Jesus' birth is not just a religious event in history. No. It's the answer to our, our life struggle. Jesus and Jesus alone takes away our soul's barrenness. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever what? Believes in him. Will not perish, but have eternal life. How about you? Have you received that gift? Have you truly received it? Personalized it? Opened it? You know, it's, it's crazy that you might go Christmas after Christmas, hearing the story, being enamored with all the, the packaging and the decorations and the lights, but never truly receiving the gift. The gift has been given, and God is waiting on you to receive it, to open it, to make it your own. You can do that today. Jesus is the answer to your barrenness, your brokenness, and your pain. He is our hope, and he can be yours today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, an old childless couple that was living in obscurity that um, became a part of your forever plan. And Father, I pray that uh, it would be a great reminder to us today that your faithfulness is ever-present. That there are times when we feel lost and all alone and we need to be reminded that we've not been forgotten. And Zachariah and Elizabeth remind us of that. But sometimes we forget that that plan, that journey, is painful. And Father, help us to remain faithful to deepen our roots through the cross of, of suffering. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us the way you do, and thank you for Jesus. And if you're here today in person or online, you're listening to this message, and you have not yet opened the gift of Christ, you have not yet received that personal invitation to, to walk and live by faith, Open the gift today. Receive the gift today. The gift of salvation, the gift of hope, the gift of a personal relationship with God made possible through faith in his son, Jesus. Just pour your heart out in a prayer like this right here and now. Dear Heavenly Father, as we begin this Christmas season, I come to you humbly admitting that uh, I have blown it. My, my entire life I've just chosen to go my own way, my own path. But today, Father, I, I turn around, I, I repent of all of that, and I, I want to come home. I want to receive the gift of salvation, receive the gift of your son, Jesus. I believe, God. I believe, as your word says, that Jesus is your son. I believe that he lived and died and rose again to prove his power over sin and death. I believe he is alive. And today, as much as I understand and much as I know how, 
I put my faith in him and him alone. And for the rest of my days, God, I just want to follow him. I want to become more and more like you see me right now, forgiven, brand new, perfect in your eyes. Thank you. We pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.